Alright, number 19. Got a lot of good racing news. Even though there's not any cross-country mountain bike races, that doesn't mean there's plenty of news. And got a bunch of gear stuff to talk about. Some, some pretty cool stuff uh, that has been creeping up the last couple weeks. I've kind of gone to a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants schedule the last couple weeks because I wanted to wait and kind of build up a couple interesting things instead of just spitting them out uh, just a couple crappy ones every week so we'll see how it goes as things pick up steam a little bit I'll probably go back to my weekly schedule all right let's get going with some excellent racing stuff here we go this is short travel magazine Interesting tidbits. Curated just for you. I'm going to start off with a couple quick tidbits. Nothing too crazy here. First of all, this is really stupid. I think I might have mentioned it earlier. But if you noticed, white t-shirts are definitely back. I thought they were back. Based on a few of the last World Cups watching it on GCN+. Plus, The reason I even bring it up is because I found a bunch of t-shirts. One of them I still actually wear fairly regularly. From the early to mid-90s that I had picked up at a couple of the World Cup races in Traverse City. And they're all white. Every single t-shirt I owned from the 90s. And yes, for you younger people, it is possible to collect and keep t-shirts for 30 years as I just found out they are all white every one of them and then you know with just a logo on the front or something on the back and I don't really have an exact kind of time frame when that changed but looking at my huge stack of t-shirts in my closet not one of them is white not a single one they're all gray or black or dark colors so when I started seeing white t-shirts pop up, I think Cannondale, Team Cannondale had them, uh, a bunch of white. It just, it stood out. Once again, everything old is new again. Now it stands out to see white t-shirts. Um, they all had white shirts. And then I started noticing more and more people were wearing white brand t-shirts. So it's definitely a thing. I'm not sure if that's a good thing because the best part about dark shirts is they don't look dingy after a few times through the washing machine they pretty much uh, retain their look forever until you throw them out so not sure if i'm going to be grabbing any uh, white t-shirts anytime soon but that is a definite tidbit let's get on to something a little more productive and interesting uh i'm going to do a lot of nino stuff and scott sram information there is a video Actually, two videos, two Nino videos that came out within the uh, about the same time. One of them is from Scott Sram, and it's their uh, Level Up Season Recap. So do a Google on, uh, or just look at the Scott Sram channel. You'll see it. I believe it's their last video. And they just kind of go through each team member's season. And I always kind of like those year-end recaps, A, because I forgot a half of what happened. And... Aside from Nino's ninth overall title, which, honestly, I, if I remember, he barely kind of eked that out. I think he needed like uh, 
eighth place or better or something, and he ended up in like a seven. I don't remember the exact specifics up in Mont Saint Anne, but it wasn't exactly a barn burning uh, blow them all away season like in the past. But he did win it, win it all. So good for him. Ninth overall, which is pretty amazing to say the least. We won't go into his amazingness. Everybody thinks, and he probably is the greatest overall cross country racer of all time. Uh, but then they went through Cade and they went through Andre Frischkinect, who definitely did not have one of his better seasons. He says so. Um, he just, I mean, in the last couple of years, he was kind of eking his way up. He's in the top 20 quite often. Some of the smaller Swiss races, he was up there and then on a podium or in the top five. So uh, after Cape Epic, he seemed to have some issues and he kind of fell off the radar a bit. So just one of those off seasons. And then, of course, we all know what happens to the uh, their new signing. That would be Filippo, Filippo Colombo. Uh, a huge, huge up-and-coming racer last year when they grabbed him. And then he got hurt on the road and basically missed this entire season. He came back the last few races. Um, but he was kind of going to be one I thought would do really well this year. But again, when you get hurt at the beginning of the season, it's pretty much hard to, to catch up. So it really wasn't. Uh, Kate, of course, I mean... She kind of had some some sparks of her old self. She was kind of in the front a lot. And then just she seems to be having endless bad luck with crashes at the wrong time. I will not, out of respect for her, go into too much detail about her face plant uh, out in Snowshoe. That was ugly to say the least. I think that was Snowshoe. Was that Monsignan? One of the last two races she just smashed her face into the rocks luckily she didn't hurt herself jump back up and finished but um man i'd like to see her kind of get back kind of like pull a, a yolanda where a few times a year she kind of everything comes together and she gets gets up there so she's going another year sounds like sounds like the same team will be together for 2024 so it's a good video i suggest watching it now the other video uh, is Kate Courtney interviewing Nino. Now that one put me to sleep. I have to admit I actually stopped about three quarters of the way through. I'm not real sure the purpose of that video. Uh, it's just kind of Nino talking about, you know, how, how great, I don't mean this in a d detrimental way, how great he is and all of his accomplishments. But I, I did not find anything interesting on that one. So certainly watch it if you're bored i watch almost all that stuff whether i really want to or not i just like to keep up on things so i found that interesting that they'd spit out a video with kate courtney interviewing nino and almost as if she wasn't on the same team with him so i don't know is that cool is it weird i don't know check that out let's get into some racing now because there's a lot of little details that are worth talking about let's go Racing news and views. All right, before we get going, uh, there is a fat bike race tomorrow that I will be going to at the Trek World Headquarters in Waterloo, Wisconsin. Um, I've done it several times. In fact, my cousin Mike, hey Mike, if you're listening, which you probably are, he went up there with me once. It's on the 
cyclocross course right next to the factory. And it is predicted to be 40-ish to 50 degrees and rain, which means mud. And it can be brutal. That course does not dry well. I mean, it's it's just grass, which is gone within a, a lap. So I'm hoping that it's drizzle and not downpour and that the ground is fairly intact because uh, last year, I think it was, they had snow, full four to six inches of snow, and it warmed up. And with all the bikes, it became absolutely disgusting and totaled my bike. And I'm going anyway because it's kind of fun. And they get let you go up and down those gigantic wood uh, bypass, overpass things, and they're huge. I mean, when you're pedaling up on them, you're not even sure you're going to be able to get up to the top of them, and then you're going full speed down the other side, usually with snow and water and wet and other people alongside you. So it's kind of a wet and woolly course. But anyway, so I got that to look forward to. I got to put some tires on, some new wheels, and get my bike ready for some mud, extra chain lube, whatever else I can come up with to try and make it a little more mud friendly. All right, let's talk about cyclocross since we uh, mentioned that a second ago. Uh, Pidcock is, of course, going to race a few. Now, this is what I find interesting. This all kind of ties into another couple subjects. I think this whole racing is probably going to be discussing multi-discipline riders, whether it be Pidcock, Wout, uh, Vanderpool, or even this new dude, Albert Philipson, who we'll talk about at the end. Uh, just a year, just two years ago, this has all been the, the rage of these guys who can do three different disciplines and win at all of them. And you're starting to see that quickly crumble, if I do say so myself. Uh, Vanderpool was the first one to kind of show cracks uh, in the armor after the Olympics a couple years ago where he he showed up, promptly flew over the handlebars, and this year at the World Championships, he showed up after having done virtually no mountain biking and promptly wiped out, and that was that. So, he seems to be saying, He's thinking of bailing on mountain biking for the Olympics, which is within a week or two of the Tour de France end. So there's been all this go, you know, back and forth. Is he going to leave the Tour de France a week or two early so he can race mountain bike at the Olympics? But he's still got to earn a crap load of points and do some races to even get in the Olympics. Um, and then you're talking cyclocross. Now he's you've read some of the comments he's thinking it sure would be nice if I didn't have to do any cross and I think I need to focus in on one thing uh, which makes perfect sense it always seemed to me like a dumb idea to try and do three different things and still try and be the best I mean it clearly is a young man's game to try and do everything uh, Pidcock for example can show up to virtually any mountain bike race in kick everybody's butt that's been proven 
time after time. Occasionally he has a bad day, but for the most part, if he's on the start line at a cross-country World Cup, he will likely win. Uh, then he goes to the road, and he does very well on the road. He doesn't win everything on the road. He's not a, a Vanderpoel in that regards where he can just win everything, but he's competitive. Cyclocross, he wins everything as long as Wout and Vanderpoel are not there. It seems like he can't quite beat those two. So then he got Wout, who's already saying, I'm not going to do that many cross races. And you go, huh, that's kind of weird. That was kind of his whole thing the last couple of years. He, he, he won everything. Every race he showed up just about, except the world champs, he seemed to have won. Uh, he could beat Vanderpool pretty easily. So there's only four races this year, uh, maybe five, that all three of those guys. Now, Wout's never raced cross country, but I still like him. Uh, end of December 23rd and 26th and 30th. So those three races, supposedly all three of those top races will be there. And then once in January 4th. And I believe it's already been determined that only Vanderpool is supposedly going to race the world champ cyclocross. So if you can already see, things are not all that they are made out to be with this uh, multidiscipline stuff. I think these dudes are finally realizing, look, if I'm going to be a mountain bike racer, I need to do some mountain bike races, and none of them seem to want to just jump on a bike and throw throw down. Uh, Pitcock, I give him credit, he did a couple races throughout the year to get some points and all that stuff, and he seemed to be fine. Uh, Vanderpool thinks he can just show up, and in a perfect world, he probably could and, and kick some butt, but boy, the last couple times he's tried to just show up is not going well and all he needs to do is break a collarbone or do something to his back and then he's out for the whole spring season or the world chance so i i think this is kind of the beginning of the end which brings me to albert phillipson a up and coming and he's truly up and coming because he's only 17 years old if that even makes is that even possible that he's only 17 years old they already signed him. Trek, little Trek, signed him. He's a junior, and he's already the road and mountain bike world champion for a junior. Now, he's from he's Danish, but to be 17 and already be on a world tour team and a world cup level team, he's going to race mountain bike and cyclocross and road. So when you're that young, I could see that kind of working out. We'll see how it goes. Every you know they. Every time they tout one of these guys as being the next next Vanderpool, I don't doesn't seem to happen that often. So he's somebody to keep an eye on next year. He will race with Trek Factory Racing for mountain uh, bikes. Not exactly sure what his schedule will be. If it was me, I would pick two out of the three. I would. I don't know. Seems like if you're gonna do mountain bike, maybe do cross and. If you're going to do road, maybe do road and cross. But to do all three, I don't know. We'll see. His age is so young that he's got a good five years before he even has to uh, join the elite ranks. So who knows what's going to happen. As a, The rules are, as a junior, you cannot race in the elite category uh, at any races. So he has to at least be an under-23 
which I believe he will be next year. Is it 18 to 23? I forget the exact. Is it 19? I don't remember. So Albert Philipson will be on track. Keep an eye on him next year. We'll see what he can do. Lastly, UCI has some new drone rules, which I find kind of cool. Uh, the drone, if you remember watching any of the GCN Plus races this year or wherever you watch the World Cup, uh, some of the, the drone footage there, I mean, I was kind of cringing a little bit, to be honest with you. The drones, and now maybe it's a trick of the camera or the lens, but they seemed literally like they were sitting on top of these people flying through the trees. It was kind of cool uh, to see the footage and kind of get that feel uh, as to how fast they're going through the woods. But it also kind of seemed a little a little crazy. Well, anyway, the, they have new drone rules. 15 meters is the minimum distance they can be to uh, an actual racer. So that's 15, that's what, 45 feet. That's actually pretty far. 40 to 50 feet away versus what the typical footage looked like. It was more like three to five. I don't know. See, I'm not good with my meters. 10 feet, let's say 10, 15 feet or less. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. I have to just maybe might be easier just to stay out of the woods entirely uh, if you got to be that far away. So that's interesting. We'll see how that affects the... Um, footage next year. I'm not going to talk too much about what is going to happen now that GCN Plus app is gone and there will no longer be a nice cycling only spot to go find all the races. I decided to wait until we see, I believe that's coming, I believe tomorrow is the last day for that app to exist. And then we'll see what happens with the uh, Discovery Plus situation if they're going to make a cycling page within the discovery plus app i don't know but i really liked only having one place to go to watch mountain bike and cyclocross and road races if they have it all blended into some generic sports app uh, that's going to blow because i don't want to have to look for stuff too hard and what else that's it let's talk about some gear real quick uh I, this weekend is on a final cyclocross note, Tom Pidcock's first race, I believe, back. So if you still have, uh, I think that's tomorrow, if you still have GCN app, check that out if you're bored. I bet you it will be a good time. There's been some good races this year for cyclocross. Uh, is, what's his name? Isabert, Isabit? I don't know, Eli Isabit, and Vanderhaar, and all the usual guys. There's been some great cyclocross racing just not from the big three as i call them and everybody else calls them wout vanderpool and pidcock without those three cyclocross racing is pretty cool because there's probably a handful of people who are fighting for each win instead of kind of one or two guys killing each other every every race so check that out this weekend it is the last shot at gcn plus app and i'll be sad to see it go uh let's do some quick gear talk and then a funny old school, and then we'll hit the road. Changing gears. More new stuff we don't really need. All right, let's do some gear talk. First up, Ghost Cycles. They're their brand based out of Germany. Been around for almost 30 years now. Um, I find them interesting because, A, I like the looks of their bikes. 
And I like their team. They only have a women's team. They got some some Antwerpsters on the team. And they got the cool wheels uh, on their on their race bikes. But they seem to have shown up over the years at REI. In fact, last time I was at REI, they actually had a few ghost mountain bikes. So it's one of those brands where you kind of like, oh, I don't know much about them. You see them, like I said, at REI. I've never really seen one on the trail, to be honest. But you see them on the World Cup, and I, you know, you see news about them, especially if you follow any of the news out of Europe. Um, but you know, you hear all the talk about bike companies being in trouble right now. That's certainly a popular topic of conversation on all the media sites. But um, something that kind of bummed me out is they are closing their factory in Germany, which they just actually built not too long ago. They're going to no longer build them in Germany, and they're going to ship them off to Turkey and Hungary. Now, that that's the first time I've heard of a company making uh, bikes in Turkey or Hungary. So that's, so I want to say that's a bummer. They're letting off uh, 80 something out of 120 employees will be fired and let go. So what does that mean? I don't, I don't know when you kind of have a company based in a homeland like Germany, uh, that is a selling point to me. And when they ship them off to be made cheaper I, I to me it loses a great deal of the uh, cachet like Cannondale for example Cannondale back in the old days was made on the east coast they were cool I've never actually actually I do own a Cannondale my wife has a Cannondale kind of a uh, just regular bike not a not a racing bike or anything but uh, Cannondale, of course, now is made in Taiwan or China or wherever, just like everybody else. They're owned by a giant conglomerate. But for a while, that was the whole point of buying Cannondale. It was a uh, self-owned company. And Ghost, apparently this happens to all companies, uh, no matter where they're at. So what that is going to do to them, I don't know, but it kind of stinks. So I hope uh, that goes well and we keep seeing the team. I hope that's not a sign of things are so bad that maybe we get rid of the, the race team. Let's go on to another European company, uh, Vittoria. I don't know if you've noticed, um, they have world champion model tires. So literally all the way around the tire is the world champion stripes, the green, yellow, black, red, and cyan stripes of the world championships are on the sidewalls of these tires. And I have to admit, it looks really ugly. <laughs> so, um, not exactly sure the point. Uh, the Barzos and the, what are the other ones? These, the Mezcals are very popular. Uh, I'm not exactly sure that I would want that. Now, I've seen photos of the tires with just the UCI World Champ logos on the sidewall next to the Vittoria white logo and the stripes are on the package but I've also seen photos of the entire sidewall having the stripes all the way around so maybe I'm overreacting uh, the downside is they're only 60 TPI housings which means they're not their best top of the line lightweight tire so maybe it's just a goofy promotion thing they're doing just to kind of capitalize on the fact that their tires uh, have been won uh, several times in the World Championships. Uh, 
Henrik Evansini won the Marathon Worlds with them. So they're Pauline Ferran Prevost has won with the Barzo tires for many years. So maybe that's all it is. But anyway, uh, let's talk about Canyon. Now, I find this one to be quite interesting. I've read quite a bit about how bike companies are losing a lot of money for 2022. Shimano notoriously has lost a crap load. And you hear about how all the big brands like Track and Specialized, they all have got way too many uh, bikes in stock. And one guy on this particular forum I was reading mentioned his local bike shop was having a buy one, get one free sale. Buy a bike, get another bike. I mean, that that is not a good sign usually. But at the same time, the prices and things have gotten so out of hand that I don't even want to think about buying a new bike. Much like a car. I almost bought a new car a few weeks ago. Mine was having some what I thought were major transmission issues. Turns out it was a wheel bearing. $600 later, cars like new. So I almost just bought a new car but once I was at the dealer sitting in them and then looking at the price tags I about wanted to puke for what you get for your money now in a new car it is simply not worth it in my mind and that is exactly the way it is with high-end mountain bikes to get the race type level bike I would like to have is twice what the over twice what I spent on my bike uh, six years ago. Not going to do it, so I'm just going to, of course, keep mine another couple years and see what happens. So to read that Canyon has actually increased their sales, now they're saying 23%, is kind of insane. Uh, I would not think even Canyon would be having such great sales. I actually almost bought a Canyon earlier this year when I was having some bike issues. It's been a while. Like I said, this would be the seventh year. Next year will be eight for my current bike. Nothing wrong with it. Just thought, you know, my bike budget was still available. And I could have probably swung a new Canyon Lux. They had zero for sale from the first time I looked in the spring until a month ago. Not one of the higher-end cross-country Luxes were available. Only the super-duper cheapest one which I'd end up having to replace half the parts on it or the trail version which I do not want the trail version they've had one shown on there a world cup level bike I think it was seven seventy five hundred eight uh, I don't think I'd actually could actually pay that much for one anyway but I looked at them but they haven't been in, in stock all year not even as a refurb or a clearance in any way shape or form so I thought to myself, well, they don't even still, after a couple years of um, all the, what do they call that, the the chain, the flow of parts is still not good, right? So I assumed that Canyon would be in the same boat as everybody else. So 23%, and you got to remember, they only sell bikes, they're not like, a few of these brands that are in a few other industries. Um, They built a giant fancy new headquarters. They've got new partnerships with some uh, 3D printing companies, and they're apparently going to be working with doing some crazy 3D printed stuff. 
So I don't know. I I would buy a Canyon. I don't need um, mechanical support on my bikes. I do everything myself. So I would be a good candidate for that. So good good for them. But everybody else seems to be uh, hurting. In fact, Canyon is opening, and I didn't even realize this. They have several hundred, I believe. Of course, not around the U.S. that I know of, but. They're building a whole bunch more of, yeah, the 300, I was right. 300, what they call workshops, where you can take your canyon into a physical service center. And I don't know if they sell through them formally, but for these brands that are direct to consumer, to open service centers or at least partner officially with places that will service your bike willingly um, is kind of a good idea. A lot of these places end up opening stores. Look at uh, Apple used to be kind of, uh, you know, not not having their own stores. They opened up their own stores at one point. So it kind of does go full circle. You start out pushing online and then the people realize, you know what, it's kind of handy. They actually have a place to go to. So there's that. Um, other gear news. Niner. Now everybody knows Niner as a... Started out as a mountain bike brand, building 29er bikes back when nobody really cared much about 29-inch mountain bikes. They believed in it enough to only sell 29-inch bikes. Now they're doing road bikes and gravel bikes, but their MCR, I don't know if you remember when that came out, it is a full suspension gravel bike, and it is a true full suspension, meaning it's got the full uh, shock and rear linkages, just like a mountain bike. It, I loved it because, A, it was a cool shade of green, and I'm a sucker for green bikes. And it was really different looking, and I'm a sucker for bikes that, you know, are kind of different looking. But I like the idea of having, you know, 50 to 80, or I, th I think it was 60 millimeters maybe, of travel. You had a regular gravel uh, suspension fork on front. Then you have this full suspension. Now, the thing was heavy. I think a fully loaded kind of top-of-the-line build was like, you know, 23 to 25 pounds, which for a gravel bike is kind of heavy, let's be honest, especially for one that costs six to $10,000. But all reports were that it worked fabulously, but they are officially killing it. It is dead. They are blowing them out. You can actually get a frame about half price, which is still too much uh, for just kind of playing around with one. But I guess full suspension is not here to stay on gravel bikes. I guess it's going to be this tiny little 10 and 20 millimeters here and there, maybe a seat post, throw a fork or a stem on and 30 to actually 20 to 40 millimeters and that's going to be it so i was kind of sad to see that die because i thought that might spark a few other companies to kind of go a full uh full suspension now you got moots you got the uh the ybb in the back where you get like a, maybe an inch or so 20 to 30 millimeters of actual cushion on a little mini elastomer shock but I think that's just an outlier. I think rear suspension on gravel bikes seems to be officially dead in the water. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, what else? One last thing. Talk about my own situation. I just spent a lot of time 
pulling the axis uh, electronic shifting off of my fat bike. Now I have it on my uh, Trek 29er that I used all summer for cross-country stuff. I love it on that. It actually was very, very useful. I am not pulling it on that. So I picked up a X01 axis uh, upgrade kit and another couple X01 cassettes and even an extra battery and I was going to put it on my fat bike and I should have known better. I learned a very valuable lesson. I Something was telling me not to do it, that I would not want it on the fat bike, which only gets used this time of year. But a couple weeks ago, I was bored and saw that sitting there in my pile of stuff to return. And I threw it on the bike. I'll admit it. I caved. I threw it on the bike. Didn't even really ride it down the driveway. Turned around, pulled it all off. Cleaned up all the X11 speed stuff that I had on there. And went back to mechanical uh, 11 speed shifting and derailers. And while I was there, I put on a fresh chain. I scrubbed and cleaned all of the cassettes that I had. I had three. Actually, I got five. Three SRAM, two Shimano, 11-speed cassettes. I got a couple extra chains, and I got a whole bunch of, of chain rings. Cleaned it all up, put it all back on, and dialed it in. And I kind of like it. It's almost like a, like a reintroduction to the old school of shifting. And I have to say, I really, really, really think I'm going to stick with it, at least on the fat bike. I don't think I'm going to pull it off of the summer bike, but um, I just sold off the X01 kit, and I just today sold off my last cassette. Now, fortunately, I got them for a very good price way before Black Friday. I found some really good deals, so I didn't really lose anything. I may be all told between the whole... Thing. I maybe lost 50 bucks or something. But uh, it was an interesting lesson. I did not want to deal with the cold weather and the batteries and throwing my fat bike in the car, forgetting to have the batteries charge and have them only last half. As, I, I just I actually thought, you know what, fat bike, cold weather, used only third of the year. Perfect case to keep mechanical shifting on there. So that's that. That's the end. Uh, not to mention, I actually picked up a good over half a pound back of weight savings because the 11-speed SRAM stuff is really, really light. I actually have an X1, which is like an OEM-only kind of middle of the road. Uh, I actually have an XX1 top-of-the-line shifter and derailleur sitting here that I pulled off the Trek top fuel, and I could throw that on there, but... I could knock another, that's even lighter, that's at least two, three ounces lighter. But I'm just going to say that because they shift about the same. So that's it for the gear world, nothing too cool. Um, one quick old school and then we'll wrap it up. Let's talk about the old school. All right, one quick thing I found very interesting. Uh, timeline, 2012, London Olympics. That's, what, 3, 12, 11, 11 years ago? Not that long ago in the scope of the uh, mountain bike historical 
world. So 11 years ago, London Olympics, Kohavi, Nino, Julian Absalon, all racing together, all on different wheel sizes. Think about that. When is the last time, probably then, where you had World Cup racers on three different wheel sizes in the same race? Nino was 27.5. Kohavi was uh, leading the charge with the 29er. Now, he's a very tall dude. And then you got Absalon rocking the 26-inch. So that was an interesting era, I'd have to say. If you could find it on YouTube, it's kind of cool to watch these three legends all going at it. Now, Nino was still quite young uh, in his career, but clearly the guy was a force to be reckoned with even back then. I don't recall, actually, I didn't even watch to the end who won. I think 2012 is when Nino got the third. I think that's where he got his first bronze medal. And Kohavi, I believe, got silver and Epsilon won that year. So he got 26 inch, 29 and 27.5 on the podium. And then shortly thereafter, everybody started. Although Nino did hold on to his 27.5s longer than I thought he would. And personally, he's kind of a shortish dude. Probably would still like him uh, if he had a choice. I'm just guessing. I have no idea. I've never ridden 27.5 wheels, so I except on a fat bike. But that doesn't count because the tires were gigantic 3.8 inch tires. And that doesn't really count. So that's it for the old school. I really find the old Olympic races particularly interesting. A, the courses are weird. And you only see kind of the top couple, sometimes only one from each country. So you're not seeing a full World Cup. You're just kind of seeing a few of the absolute best from each country. And weird uniforms. And the bikes look kind of weird. I and the courses are sometimes really long and strange. I don't know. I find them very interesting. I, I'm going to go back and start watching some of the old uh, World Cups from the 2000s. Because I've been focusing a lot on the 90s where they're really old. But the mid-2000s are still kind of interesting. A lot of the, mainly for the bikes and for the people who are no longer racing. A lot of them didn't make it uh, much longer than... Uh, 2016 Olympics is kind of where you see a lot of the older riders disappear. So there you go. That's it uh, for number 19. And see you next time, probably uh, next week. Thanks. Thank you ever so much for listening to Short Travel Magazine. 